This is Hoops Hour, hosted by Hoops Hour. This is a basketball podcast show, thingy-majigger. Uh, it's actually, it's not just a basketball show, it's, it's the basketball show. I don't know if you've heard, um, there's, been, there's been whispers going around. Uh, this is episode four. This is the Christmas special. Um, got a good one for you today. First off, I do want to kind of slight, slightly apologize for last episode. Um, it was, it was a bit rushed. Um, I don't know if you felt it, but I definitely felt it and knew, um, it wasn't intentional, but I was not feeling very well. And I think subconsciously I was just trying to speed through it. And, uh, it's a shame because I really wanted to talk about the, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I did, but you know, wanted to maybe let some of the stuff marinate a little longer, but I was really kind of speeding myself through it. So apologies for that. I hope you still enjoyed the conversation, but, uh, nonetheless, as I said, we got a good one for you today. We're gonna, we're gonna make up for it and then some. So, uh, got, got a bunch of news, then uh, a couple topics, very excited for this one. So, uh, we're just going to routinely update this one as, as it continues to develop because, and I know I've already used this word a bunch so far in this show's, uh, history, but, uh, historic and what they're doing is historic. And that's just, that's just going to be a little, a little, kind of watcher on the Detroit Pistons who are nearing in on the NBA's all-time losing streak of 28 games. They're at 26 now, 2-27. and They had a great opportunity to end their winning drought against the Jazz while at home on Thursday. It's Sunday today? Yeah, Christmas is Monday, which is unfortunate, but Christmas is on a Monday. We're recording this on Christmas Eve And yeah, it was on Thursday. They had a great opportunity against the Jazz. They were down Larry Markinen, Jordan Clarkson, Taylor Horton Tucker, Keontae George, basically and all but like Walker Kessler of players on the Jazz that are actually like impactful or like good NBA players that would exist on other rosters. And Cade had 28 and 10. And they still couldn't pull it out. It was a close game throughout most of it until the end. And uh, it just, just brutal stuff. And, you know, it really got me thinking... Their streak's really only going to get worse as it just kind of racks up and up because no one wants to be the team that gives Detroit their first win after such a streak like this. So every team coming in is is going to play like it's playoffs. Like, we need to win this game. It's sort of the inverse of what was happening to the Warriors in 2016 when they were going on their record-breaking 73-9 and campaign. Where and they've talked about it on numerous like occasions, uh, Clay, Steph, and Draymond have talked about it. Where every game basically felt like the playoffs because they wanted to be the ones that ended their like current streak or whatever and gave them their tenth loss or whatnot, whatnot. This is like the complete opposite version of that, where a team's so bad, I'm gonna play my ass off just to like avoid being in the conversation of aha, aha, you gave you gave the Detroit Pistons a win, aha. Um, so that's kind of funny. Uh, at this point, it's looking. All, all but certain that they are going to break the 28 uh, loss streak record, which is from the uh, the the Sixers in the 80s, I believe, one of their dog shit teams. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep you informed on that one uh, when they break it or perhaps break their own uh, uh, wind drought. Uh, next up is I want to uh, talk about some uh, some. Something that should be rather frivolous, but absolutely set uh, Nick's Twitter on fire, which was Becky Hammond was on, uh, if you don't know Becky Hammond, uh, just basketball legend, a Hall of Famer. Uh, I don't know if she played or not, but she was an assistant coach with the Spurs. 
uh, coaches the Aces, uh, just coached them to their uh, repeat title in the WNBA. Uh, and it has, point being, has more of a reason to talk about the sport of basketball than most of the Jackrabbits that are brought onto shows like First Take and, and whatever all those, all, all their major network shows are. Um, so just to kind of, you know, set that as a preface, uh, made some comments about the Knicks, uh, who I do think most likely Becky Hammond does not watch a lot of Knicks basketball. Not that that really changes the matter of what she said or it's like validity or whatnot, but you know, in, in case you're like still a little bit salty about it and, uh, want, want to be able to take away something from it. I'm going to guess that <laughs> Becky Hammond doesn't watch every single Knicks game like the rest of us sickos do. Um, but she made comments on the fact that Jalen Brunson, for as amazing as he is, which, love you, sweetie, of course he is, uh, he's not a 1A player. And essentially, a team that's going to win a championship needs a 1A player, and that 1A player can't be an undersized guard like Jalen Brunson. She said the only exception to this rule throughout history, throughout the league's history, is Steph Curry, which, I mean, the math kind of checks out on that. There's you know, Chris Paul had a great chance, I think, throughout his career to be a number one option that led his team to a championship. That never worked out. Um, Isaiah Thomas with the Bad Boy Pistons in 89 and, and 1990, uh, they went back-to-back championships, but that was a little different because the Bad Boy Pistons were an incredibly well-rounded, like, just tailor-made, built-to-win type of uh, roster, less so than, like, Isaiah Thomas kind of dragging them and willing them all the way to the promised land as, you know, this elite two-way kind of player. Um, So point taken, you know, and should this really be a discussion? Uh, I think, I think the bigger discussion to be had is what is a 1A player and why are so many people labeling so many players as such? Because in my opinion, a 1A player is a player who can take their, it can be the best player on a championship team there's not that many of them look at who's won the championships in the past like 10 seasons it's less than it's it's less than 10 finals mvps for for 10 championships in the past 10 seasons if you get what i'm saying it's been the same kind of people it's been the same kind of players i'm again history's kind of on our side with this and it shouldn't have really been a discussion we know why we don't like women when they talk but you know uh, damn be if they have a good opinion or just say something kind of like factually accurate. Um, but as a, as, as a Jalen Brunson stan, uh, my, my Twitter profile picture is, is a deep fried Jalen Brunson with like laser eyes. I'm, I'm 12 and it's 2016. All right, give me a break. Um, but I saw, okay. So I saw a tweet and I, I wrote down to the best of my abilities, what it was. And we'll read that out because it's, it's the only kind of take that I heard from the backlash from Knicks fandom that Becky Hammond received that I actually kind of agreed with or at least saw some validity to. So it went something along the lines of, well, if Jalen Brunson plays well against the Bucks, I can't enjoy it because he is simply too small. And if he's not a 1A player, then what's the point of all this, really? I mean, when someone says you can't do something because of the way you were born, then you should just give up and listen to them, right? So again, wrote that down to the best of my um, memory, maybe not 100% accurate, uh, but definitely still encapsulates the idea of what that tweet was giving off. Um, clearly, it's like a little reactionary. The original tweet definitely had a, a pinch more salt added to it, um, but it definitely, it, it's kind of got a point, right? You know, should we, is, what's the point? What is the utility in putting labels like 1A, 
you can lead your team to a championship or not. When the player hasn't even really had the opportunity to prove yes or no. Jalen Brunson has been on the Knicks for one full season. In that time, was definitively their best player. Dragged them to their first playoff. Didn't drag, they stomped the Cavaliers. But led them through their first playoff series win in a decade. And went toe-to-toe against the team that ended up going to the finals. It's like a pretty, it's a pretty good one-year sample size, all right? We are, we are 30 games into Jalen Brunson's second season as a New York Knick. But, you know, point being, he hasn't, he hasn't had the opportunity to really be on a stage like uh, the conference finals uh, in a matchup where the Knicks uh, do have a good chance of maybe uh, beating them or gone to the finals and, uh, and not shown up and proven, well, you know, Teams can't win when they're led by someone like that. Um, Overall, I think, again, the main point is really we should uh, do a little bit of gatekeeping, I guess, on the term 1A player. Um, And it's not, like, a bad thing if Jalen Brunson, like, isn't. I don't think that should be a, uh, a knock on him because, again, very few people should, like, really be considered that anyways. But also... It's just sort of like a kind of a bit of an asinine conversation to be had about a player who, with their limited playoff resume, has been superb. All right, if we remember the 2022 playoffs, the things Jalen Brunson did to Rudy Gobert and the Jazz was nasty. It was nasty work. I, I, I give him credit for, for breaking up uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and then finally pulling the plug because they went, oh my God. If a, if a if a if a fucking six foot two backup guard can cook our defensive player of the year anchor, we're we're like cooked. We went wrong somewhere. We got to blow this up. So I like to give him credit for that. But you have that kind of playoff run, and then you have this past one. You know he's looked really 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 good. Nothing so far has been like yeah no. There's clearly like a ceiling on this or whatnot. Um, but maybe there is, and I don't think we should be uh, ashamed of that if it's not, you know, Jalen Brunson, I think can absolutely still be, uh, the point guard on like a championship team if he's not the best player, unless obviously the player you brought in was like a uh, point guard or, uh, always needed to bring the ball down the court or whatever. Um, that's a bit different, but yeah, point being, it's just sort of like, why is this even being a conversation right now? Um, let's also look at the Knicks and like what they're reasonable goals for this season should be and uh and judge whether that's even a conversation that needs to even be had right now which speaking of i know it's christmas i don't want to bum anybody out but uh i'm gonna need to talk through my feelings a little bit here and do some some rationalization some self-gaslighting if you will and uh just talk through some things so if you'll allow me this is gonna be a a tailor-made segment for this Christmas special, special report, Nick's therapy session. So picking up from the news of Mitchell Robinson being sidelined for the rest of the season, the Knicks have been four and three since then. Uh, eh, not bad. Our, our three-point shooting has cooled down a bit. We were uh, down to eighth after the fifth, which, dude, if the Knicks are top 10 in three-point shooting, I, I don't care. I'll take anything in there. Um, we have also slid down to the 14th in defensive rating um, from the from being a top 10 uh, and or from being like a top three and uh, and we're 10th. We've crawled up uh, to the 10th in offensive rating, which mind you, the Knicks ended last season as the fourth highest uh, rated offense, which 
probably in like right there asserts the fact that advanced stats are not everything, but still, you know, I think a, a big thing I like to harp on is you don't accident your way to like the tops of lists. Um, and especially when they're like really big encompassing things like, sure, maybe defensive rating isn't the end all be all of how good a team's defense is. But if you're top, you know, whatever, top five in it, you're certainly not a bad defense. You know, you didn't just like open the wrong door and you're like, oh shit, I didn't realize the top five defenses were in here. Mind if I hang out, fellas? Like, no, you earned it. Uh, so we we still haven't signed anybody really as a replacement, uh, sort of. You know, allegedly, uh, the Knicks and Tom Thibodeau are exhausting all options to fill uh, Mitchell Robinson's void. Um, but so far, all we've done is uh, bring up slash sign a G League two-way uh, seven-footer uh, from the Westchester Knicks. Shout out to the Westchester Knicks. Um, they just won the Winter Showcase, actually. There was a reason I could have brought them up. There you go. Shout out to Westchester Knicks. They just won the Winter Showcase in the G League. Uh, let's go. Uh, shout out David Resnick. Anyway, uh, so yeah, side the Ukrainian seven-footer from the Westchester Knicks. Uh, Dim- I'm going to butcher this, but Dimitro Skapsnev, uh, uh, Reznov. They signed, they signed, uh, they signed Makarov, all right? Um, and also they've been starting Isaiah Hardenstein, which, you know, you already know how I feel about him. I love Isaiah Hardenstein. He is ideally a backup center, but he gives so much effort and is still a solid enough rim protector that I'm like, whatever, go play King. Um, so, so far, I haven't really done anything. Also, again, I, I mentioned it in the, like, brief, uh, in the brief um, notes that I gave last episode when I mentioned that Mitchell Robinson was going to be down, that uh, that means we're going to be seeing some serious and prolonged Taj Gibson minutes in the year 2024 of our Lord. Um, so, we'll, we'll see how all that goes if we're going to sign a minimum guy or just kind of rock it out with that. Uh, I mean, if you have, like, three uh, 0.5 centers, like, surely you can rotate them into, like, one decent starting one. I don't know if that's how that works, but we'll see. Tibbs is obviously a defensive coach, so I think he's able to bring a lot out of, um, I mean, he was able to foster Mitchell Robinson into a near defensive player of the year kind of candidate, so we'll see, point being. Um, yeah, so depending on if we sign anybody, uh, I think regardless, uh, because who we would sign would not be someone of, um, particularly uh, significant impact, if you will. Um, I think this season should really just be about making the playoffs and getting some more reps. Um, we can still very well be a top six seed in the Eastern Conference, uh, not having to worry about the plans and whatnot. Um, and having that extra experience for when we're healthy and even a bit better is going to be huge for guys like RJ Barrett, Quinn Grimes, Emmanuel Quickly, um, but honestly, everybody on the team, because again, the Knicks are pretty new being back into the playoffs. Um, and speaking of RJ Barrett, he has been not so great lately. Uh, 17 and a half points on barely 40% from the field and 25% from three over his last 10 games. Um, and he was really a no-show against the Bucks, which kind of funny because the day this comes out, Christmas, they're rematching. Um, so hopefully that game has a, has a bit of a different outcome. But he was really not good against the Bucks on the 23rd. Um, and this team just, this team needs RJ to show up in big games like that. You know, I'm not trying to over-extrapolate this and, and say, like, RJ is just, like, bad or whatever. But RJ Barrett is quietly good to solid and then very loudly bad. 
when he's good, you don't notice because it's like a pretty what so so whatever like twenty points on sixteen shots kind of thing against like a you know whatever team, and you're like, okay, we got a good RJ Barrett game, cool, you know. But then when you really look to him to like RJ. We need those we need those knockdown threes. We need those extra 22 points from you tonight, buddy. He's very very frequently over his career, which you know, he's only 23. It's it's hard, but at the same time he's been in the league for this is his 5th season, so it's like I understand you are young relative still, but you have a lot of experience on your belt to still kind of just be this like wishy-washy. I'm here one game, I'm out the next. Um and so, while, again, I don't want this to be misconstrued as, like, R.J. Barrett is just straight-up bad, because he's not. R.J. Barrett is a good NBA player. Um, him not consistently performing well in crunch time and big moments is also holding the Knicks back, you know? And I, I don't want to make it all about Julius Randle all the time, because R.J. Barrett is the Knicks' third-best player, and he needs to do better as well if the Knicks want to expand their ceiling, if you will. Uh... Speaking of Jay Sniper, he admittedly, I apologize, Julius. I am familiar with your game. Don't get me wrong, you rat bastard. I'm familiar with your game. But you've been playing good, and I'm not going to let it slide without giving you praise. Because here's the thing. I love these players, and so it, you know, it, it takes something out of me. It takes something from my soul when I have to talk bad about them, but they're performing bad. So like, I'm not, I'm not going like, to just lie to myself and to you. Um, but you got to keep that energy regardless, I think. So when they're playing good, you got to give them love. And over his last 10 games, Julius Randle is averaging 27.1 points, 8.2 rebounds, five, uh, four and a half assists on 56.2% from the field and 91% from the charity stripe. He's been more efficient. He's been making smarter plays and reads and just in general decisions with the ball in his hands, which we know is often. Um, and he deserves he he deserves praise. This is the All NBA player that we're like, don't talk shit about Julius Randle. He's All NBA. Like whenever he has like a really bad game, and we're like, but he's been an All NBA player two of the last three seasons. You can't call him back. This is who we're like picturing in our mind to like channel that energy. Uh, and in the in the effort and interest of slowing myself down, we're gonna we're gonna take water break. Choo choo water break. All right. So that kind of circles me back now that I've given my, uh, my, my due diligence in terms of love uh, and hatred. It's not hatred. I love you, buddy. RJ, you just need to play better. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, <laughs> and I'll say the same thing for Julius when he inevitably cools off. I'm not a hater. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but so circling back to what our season should be or would have been if, you know, regardless what it's going to be. Now that we don't have our near defensive player of the year candidate level center, um, we should focus on making the playoffs. And honestly, I think we can strive to be even greater than just make the playoffs. I think we should strive to secure a top six seed and, you know, inshallah, have one of the better matchups out of the top three teams in the East. You know, I don't I don't really know who that would be because clearly the top three teams in the East are on a tier above the Knicks. So it doesn't really matter. But, you know. I don't know, we've played the Bucks like, you know, we will have played the Bucks like 40 times this season by the end of it, it feels like. So, you know, maybe maybe we'll just like know a bit more of how to deal with them if we were to get matched up against them or something like that. But anyways, 
not going to speculate on that too much because it doesn't really matter at this point. Um, but we should uh, focus on getting into the playoffs, top six seed, and then in the playoffs, depending on how Julius Randle and RJ perform, uh, which because if, if, if Randle specifically is able to stay at the level he currently is playing at and translate it to the playoffs where he is a a, a very versatile, efficient scorer and a good defender. Um, and then obviously the same things apply for RJ if he can you know play well as well. Then regardless of whatever that series outcome is, because again, we're really more focused on the reps for this year, uh, that's very promising. If we can really get a good playoff series from Julius Randle, regardless of outcome. Because then I think that changes the dynamic of, you know, hey, do we have to... Um, do we have to get rid of this guy? Because, you know, if Julius Randle's going to show up at the playoffs and be a 27 points, 8 rebound kind of guy on 50% shooting, you know, suddenly that ceiling looks a lot higher, you know? Um, and that kind of also brings back up the Becky Hayman comments about the 1A thing. Um, you know, maybe the Knicks don't have a 1A player, a, a superstar level player. And as of, you know, as of right now, from what we've seen, we don't know. Um, but... What if a team has two 1Bs and a deep roster of high-level defensive wings who can knock down shots and a rim protector like, I don't know, Mitchell Robinson maybe? I don't know. He seems kind of cool. He, his, his game seems nice. Um, what could that do, you know? Usually, now listen, usually a 1B player is a 1B player for a reason. They are not reliable enough. Usually, It's not really a matter of like, skill or production um uh, maybe the skill part but like usually a 1b player is is averaging the same kind of all nba numbers or whatnot but is just not really a reliable dependable in a playoff situation the same way a 1a player is so obviously that's why they're a 1b but and and we know historically like you've needed a, a superstar guy who is unequivocally the best on the floor in any given moment to kind of even if you have a good team sometimes just pick them up and go, we are, like, I, as our superstar, am willing us over this hump and to a championship. Um, but if Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle are playing like they are now in the playoffs, over the course of a whole playoff run, is that enough to compensate for the lack of a 1A in those important moments? I don't know. I'm just throwing out questions here. I'm Tucker Carlson just throwing out questions, all right? You know, don't and don't get me wrong. Obviously, having a 1A is, like, the more ideal situation, so you just, like, don't even have to worry about making it work. Uh, But for the sake of the argument, if the rest of the team is super, super solid and does their jobs and are effective play finishers and lockdown defenders and outside shooters, is it still all about the star? Especially in today's modern NBA. Um, Or the alternative happens, bringing it back to the playoffs for this year, the alternative happens. And in like seasons past, Julius Randle's play doesn't hold up in the playoffs. Um, And then we don't have to even worry about defying the odds later down the line because we just won't be even good enough to give it a go. Um, And clearly then the Knicks would need to make a move for a superstar level offensive talent and uh, also re-sign Emmanuel quickly. That needs to happen regardless. Probably the biggest offseason priority. Is, is making sure that that happens. But 
you know, this is sort of, uh, you know, maybe we're not worried about how far we get in the playoffs this year, but it's a it's a testing ground sort of thing. So see how that goes. Sign Emmanuel, re-sign Emmanuel quickly for, you know, whatever money he wants, basically, you know, within reason. If he asks for $80 million. sorry, sorry, E, we might, we might not be able to swing that one, but... Uh, Dude, within reason, give give Emmanuel quickly as much money as he wants, in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah. And then I think that's that's what I think of the, of the uh, Knicks situation as of right now. You know, it's all about getting some more experience, seeing really what our 1B players can do together if they're, like, both simultaneously locked in in the playoffs um, and see if that can be a, a, a the lead to a serious playoff team. Um, and then, you know, next season we strike, uh, maybe it won't be that quick of a turnaround. I don't know. I'm just like hopeful that I won't have to spend additional seasons past this in like a limbo testing state, but I'm going to try to like cool my jets and not be too impatient. So yeah, thank you all for letting me, uh, let me work through that for myself. Um, you know, sometimes you need to, and, uh, that was the Knicks therapy session. Which brings us to our main segment for this episode, which is how good are the Orlando Magic? So the Magic have been a really fun team so far this season. Uh, Very, very much a surprise, in my opinion. Uh, They're fourth in the Eastern Conference, have a 17 and 11 record. I think they just won last night even. Um, they're fifth in defense and 18th in offense. You know, that's a little bit of a collar pool there. But uh, I want to start with their defense because that's where they've been excelling and really look further along in their developmental path as a young team. I don't really know how to put that, but you get what I'm saying. Um, so they've had one of the best defenses in the league. And similar to the Timberwolves, the Magic have a unique blend, which I know it makes it sound a little less unique when in back-to-back segments on teams i'm like using this verbiage but it's very applicable to these to these two teams and very few other ones i promise this won't be a this won't be a thing but similar to the timberwolves the magic have a unique blend of physicality and size that can be really overwhelming for opponents to deal with uh their starting lineup has you know franz wagner 610 paulo banquero 610 wendell carter jr 610 they've got nearly or they've got three near seven footers in their starting lineup and only a few high end teams like the Wolves, the Nuggets, uh, the, the Sixers are a good one for the Eastern Conference really even have the personnel and the literal size to compete with that. Uh, and that goes for both ends of the floor because, you know, they, they haven't been particularly good on offense by any metrics or standards, but in a very literal sense, you stop three you know, you stop three six ten dudes from from getting to their spots. They might not hit that shit. Magic are one of the worst shooting teams in the league, but a lot of that responsibility kind of falls on them rather than getting individually locked up and not hitting shots that they otherwise would have. Like them bitches aren't going in anyways. Um, so because of this and the fact that they have such big athletic players who are still finding ways to put the ball in the net. The Magic are able to punch way above their weight class for what they are right now. Because, again, they're not much different than they were last season, where they were the 13th seed, where they had the 18th best defense, where they won 34 games. We're barely 30 games into the season now, and they have half of that already. Um, 
but because they really came into their own as a team that prides themselves on defense and is like, before anything, we're going to get that stop. They've been able to, you know, relatively early on in this season, catch a lot of these teams off guard, win games off of their defense, and then just sort of do enough on offense to the point where they're literally outscoring their opponents. Doesn't have to look pretty, and it often doesn't. There was a... Man, they played someone... They played another defensive team a couple of games ago, and it was... I mean, it looked like you were watching 1980s basketball. They were fucking... Some real some real fundamentals, if you will. Some real bruiser basketball. Um, but yeah. Additionally, they have... In, in, in the same vein, we're still talking about defense here. Uh, they have a lot of high-effort, physical, perimeter-slash-point-of-attack guard defenders... Uh, like Jalen Suggs, uh, Anthony Black, who's been quite underrated defensively as a rookie. I, I really like his game overall. It's it's slow. It's smooth. He's a bigger defensive guard. And I'm really interested to see what kind of player he can turn into, possibly all defense in the future. Um, and then also Cole Anthony, who maybe isn't that big, but is physical and pretty great at forcing turnovers, um, which, speaking of, uh, the Magic get a lot of steals. They are fourth in steals, as well as just outside of the top 10. I think they're like 12th in blocks. Um, and when you combine both of those with the fact that they are third in the league in percentage of points being scored off of turnovers, we can see how they're winning games. It's not through some magical shot creation. It's defense into offense. Rely on the things you're good on, you're good at, and then create advantages, you know? And so they've been able to do that, execute pretty well. And they are, you know, 17 and 11 right now. Fourth seed in their conference, first in their division. They're doing pretty good. Um, so yeah, they've definitely taken a leap defensively. And while I think they are better than they were last year, there's like no doubt you can't make this much of a leap without anything having changed. Um, I don't think they're necessarily that much different, at least on the offensive end of the ball, uh, which, you know, Turning, in, turning the conversation into offense now. Uh, Paulo has been awesome again. I loved his rookie season campaign, and he's been looking great this so far this season. He's averaging uh, 21 points, 7 rebounds, 4.5 assists, and has had a pretty huge efficiency leap. He's up to 47% from the field, which was uh, like 42% in his rookie year, maybe like that, um, and up to 38% from three on 3.5 three attempts. That part is really, really big. If if Paulo has a, a knockdown outside game as the incredible, like, near LeBron kind of physicality archetype that he is, that's dangerous. That really can unlock a lot. Uh, and Franz Wagner, his, uh, the, the kind of Batman to his Robin, even though they totally take turns sometimes being the best player in the game because Franz Wagner is good. He's really good, and he's coming off of the World Cup win uh, this past summer where Germany took home the, uh, the Dubarinskis against, was it the U.S.? Was, was the U.S. In the, in the final? I think so. Uh, it was either, I don't know, because I don't, I don't think it was, because Canada and the U.S. played in the third place game, didn't they? Does it matter? Who's, who's, is anybody pocket watching FIBA right now? No. You get what I'm saying. Uh, the Germans won. The Germans won. All right. I'm a I'm a I'm a Polish headline in 1939. The Germans won. Anyways, that was a bad joke. Whatever. Um, coming off of that win, he's been doing pretty good. Super solid. 20 points, six rebounds, four assists, 
on slightly worse efficiency than Paulo, uh, but he has, and he definitely hasn't been shooting the three ball great, but still good defender, good size, decent playmaker, athletic. He's got finesse around the rim, yada, yada, yada. Just a, a really good player. And he's only like 22. So um, yeah. And in general, the reason I mainly highlight those two is because the Magic are really only going as far as those two specifically can take them, as well as Wendell Carter Jr. is uh, obviously being the center, being the defensive anchor that he is, um, your two best players, and then whoever's your defensive anchor are really going to be the highlighted, important, key members of your team come playoffs. Um, he hasn't been very good this season, I'm not going to lie, Wendell Carter Jr., that is. Um, but he's still a good center and, uh, defensively is an athletic rim protector with like a seven and a half foot wingspan. So, you know, it's maybe he's off, you know, his timing's not right or whatnot. He's, he's, he's missing a little something, but it's not like his arms are shrinking. So he's still uh, a very solid presence. And again, they have top five defense, whatever. So, uh, so that's been there. Um, and I think uh, I I I think that the Magic, well, sorry, I, the Magic are no longer the second seed. Yes, we know that, and so I don't want to kind of uh, drink the early in the season Kool Aid and uh, hyperbolize really how good this team could be. But we're now thirty-ish games over thirty for some team games into the season, and they are still a top team in the conference. So. Like it or not, this is a playoffs team. Um, and even if the Knicks and the Heat, for example, were to end up overtaking them, they are the two teams um, right below them, that would still make Orlando a top six guaranteed no plans type of thing. And if the Magic went to the plans, I'd feel pretty confident about them. So point being, they're going to be in the offs this year. Again, like it or not, they're going to be there. Uh, I don't know why you would hate on them. It's like a, the Magic would be like a weird team to choose to hate on. But yeah, anyways. Um come to the playoffs, I don't think we should really have any serious expectations for them. Uh, the, the theme of this episode is really uh, get to the playoffs and get some reps, but it's especially important for a young team like this. I don't even know the last time the Magic were in the playoffs. It was probably the Aaron Gordon era, um, but this is going to be a really good experience for them. And because the playoffs are all about matchups anyways, it still would be a very fun series, whoever they ran into. Like, if the Magic were, like, the seventh seed right now and the season ended right now and they faced the Bucks, for example, they're going to make the Bucks work, you know? We're not saying, like, oh, are the Magic as good as the No, no, but when it becomes about uh, f- physicality and matchups, like, they're, they're, they're going to be a tough team to deal with, like, regardless of the fact that their players don't have experience or are, like, maybe not elite yet or something. So, point being, I've been very pleasantly surprised by the early on to, I can even just drop the the preface of early on, just success of the Magic. Um, and they look ahead of schedule overall as a team. So, very cool, very cool. Well done, Orlando. And going on to our last segment for today's episode, I've got a little bit of a game to play. I don't know how this is going to work. I did significantly like less research for this. This was like totally vibes based um but this is the naughty or nice list which you know i felt was apt considering this is the christmas special um but this is sort of like a short list i think it's like i think it's 10 players um who have been sort of like low-key good or low-key bad but like we're either way deserve a mention as an asterisk there are no knicks players on this because i could just 
throw like three of them on the list if I like really wanted to, but I'm not. And also as an added asterisk, I guess this is kind of in order of severity. So like early on noddies are like, eh, they haven't been playing great, but it's like, whatever. And then like towards the end, it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like what's going on? And then same thing for the nice where it's like, eh, two. If that's a good visual representation of the spectrum of cheer. I don't know. Anyways, uh, so the first player, I'm going to start off with Naughty, is uh, is Michael Porter Jr. of the Denver Nuggets. Um, he had been having a really, really rough stretch uh, of shooting, um, which he has started to shoot much better in the past, like, four to five games. But the Nuggets need that outside shooting from them. They have, in that time as well, kind of, I don't want to say like crawled back because they were like top four, top three already anyways. But now the West is really starting to get carved out as a one and two of Minnesota and uh, the Nuggets at the top. And I think in that stretch, they are really propelled and the Nuggets in general are always going to be better when they have <clears throat> their 6'10 wingman who is one of the best, you know, three point shooters in the entire league. So he needs to be that efficient scorer and also play that kind of defense he was playing in the playoffs because, you know, that that was really that was really kind of game changer. Michael Porter Jr. went from over his career being a net negative on defense to not just being able to hold his own, but oh yeah, I'm reminded by the fact that this dude's almost seven foot and he's actually a pretty good defender when he's locked in. So yeah, needless to say, Michael Porter Jr. has not been all that bad. He's averaged uh, 16.5 points on a little under 40% from three uh, over the course of this season so far. It is his worst three-point shooting season at this point, other than uh, the 2022 season where he only played nine games and got injured. But overall, I think it's 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 fair to say he's he's not been at all bad, but or he had been. I'm not going to lie. He had been, but uh, overall... Not bad, but he is under a microscope because on a team like the Nuggets, who obviously are the team to beat, you know, you have a, a, a much shorter leash for kind of uh, how long you can be in a slump or how much you're able to kind of get away with before we're like, all right, dude, like, remember, we're the Nuggets here kind of thing. So, yeah, our first nice player is Isaiah Joe from the Oklahoma City Thunder he has been a sniper from three-point land, 41.5%. It was over 50 for most of the season. I'm not actually sure when it dipped, but he's been lights out from there. He's second in the league in net rating um, and only plays like 20 minutes a game. He's he's Oklahoma City's, uh, he's he's the Thunder's six-man for sure. Um, he's a backup. He's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, but he's their backup small forward, I think. Maybe he's the backup too. I could be wrong about that, but either way, he's been their six man of the year for sure. Only plays, like I said, like 20-ish minutes, but highly, highly efficient and very impactful. One of the most impactful role players so far this season. Um, he's hit some really, really timely shots. I will be honest, I haven't watched a ton of Oklahoma City Thunder games so far. I, I really should because I need to like force myself to just like understand Shea's game a little bit more not that like I don't get what he's like doing what he's about but like I'll be honest Shea up until this point has not been a player that has particularly moved me so but I know I know he's that guy and so I know that I think a good amount of that due diligence is on me to kind of uh go out of my way to watch more of him and then also Chet Holmgren has been like phenomenal and I really like watching him play so point being I gotta watch him more but when I do watch them I'm always seeing Isaiah Joe 
hit a really, really timely shot or get a stop or make a good, he's just like moving well. Been a really, really, really good player for them. Uh, the next naughty is, <laughs> this one's a bit unfair, but it's a little bit more than funny, the kind of predicament that's going on right now. Uh, and that's Zach Levine, who has been injured now for a, a while. I don't even know when the last game he played was, but he's only played 18 on the year and we're going towards 30. So he's missed like 10 plus games. Um, but the, the Bulls have looked and been much more successful since he's been out. And that is um, not a great, not a great sign, but um, it's, it's really, it's not like his implicit fault that he's in the position he's in, in where, okay. I mean, this is the thing he's first off, he should be traded. He should, he is the number one name being mentioned in like any trades right now, regardless, he is probably the most like viable uh, on the market kind of player or like, you know, like uh, flirting with being on the market kind of thing. But he, he needs to be going to a team like the Lakers or the Kings or something like that. But and, and not be what he has been, which is kind of setting him up for failure, which is being the attempted core fun foundational piece of a championship team, which uh, which also he, he has been for way too many seasons. The conversations we're having about Zach Levine now Yes, we've had for the past couple of seasons, but should have been a done and deal thing. Like the Bulls should have long ago given up on this experiment. He is a mid-range, high-volume taking guard who is not a good playmaker and is not a particularly good defender either. Um, so it's kind of like a little shame that uh, he's been in the position he is in. And also in the 10-ish games that he's been out, the Bulls have had significantly more success they've been like a 500 team since then they're not good they're still let's check i think they're like the 12th seed they are other than the 10th seed in the east um and six and four in their last 10 so yeah they've been an above 500 team since since zach levine went down and i i just it makes him look bad but i think i think once he's traded which again i'm only using the the wording of uh when and not if because he needs to be um for both parties sake uh, I think people will remember why Zach Levine is a very fun and talented player when he's not on the Bulls trying to lead and will an offense into something that he is just not a player capable of doing. So, yeah, for those reasons, I'm sorry, Zach, but you are going to go on the naughty list this this go around. But maybe maybe this time next year you're on you know the the some some other team, the Kings, the Lakers, uh, putting up buckets and just being like the athletic uh, the athletic guy you are. Um, next nice is Derek White, who is one of the best role players in the league. Um, there was a funny, there was a funny little, like, it wasn't really a controversy, but it was like just a funny little dialogue that happened with, uh, JJ Reddick called Derek White, who, if you don't know, plays for the Boston Celtics, uh, called him a, a top 100 player. And like, that shouldn't even be a debate. Like, I like any like good starting caliber like player on a good team is probably crack top 100 guys it's not that complicated um and also it's not like particularly high praise to say someone's a top 100 player um but a lot of people are like Derek White top 100 whatever like who don't fucking know ball or watch basketball I I'm never going to sorry I'm never going to be one of those people who said don't know ball that's just so so cringe 
but it's kind of true. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not going to lie. The reason I don't like that as a conversation is because you can know ball about every single thing. And then the second you don't know one, one little aspect, it's, oh, I'm sorry. You just don't know ball, I guess. And it's like, did my knowledge about everything else not count for shit? But at the same time, Derek White is such a prevalent player on such a good team that, like, if you don't know that he's really good, how much ball you watch, bro, is definitely a fair question, I think. Um, but point being, he is, he, JJ Redick uh, amended his comments and was like, he's actually top 50. Sorry, guys. Um, but I think he's like top 40, 30, even, because as I said, one of the best role players in the league. He's a great defender, an absolute bucket. He's shooting 42% from, uh, from three and, and also hits tough shots around the rim all the time too. Um, and in his slightly bigger role that he's had so far this season is up to 16 and a half, uh, almost, almost seven, or he is at 16 and a half, almost 17 points a game. So Derek White is phenomenal. Him and Drew Holiday as a backcourt, the Celtics are just so OP, man. It's not even funny. Uh, next up on the list, going back to Naughties, DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton, what happened? I thought I thought it was time to turn up now that we're in Portland, now that we're away from clearly what was not a great situation for you. I understand that in Phoenix, not just on the court, but clearly off the court. He didn't particularly seem like that valued of a player. His disposition towards the team was uh, made the feeling seem pretty mutual. But understandably, it's pretty hard to thrive when your workplace is just not an environment uh, kind of built for you to succeed in. Um, but he's in, he's in Portland right now, which is one of the worst teams in the league. They are 14th in the West. Um, he has, uh, no one's, no one's fighting to take his big man spot and he's just been nothingness. He's had his worst season of his entire career, 13 points, uh, still a 10 rebound guy, but he's seven foot. And again, on the fucking blazers, who else is grabbing boards? Um, and I'm just like, what happened to dominate and what happened? Like this was, this was where really when, and I was rooting for him because I think it's always easy to root for a player when they get shipped off to a team like the Blazers at this current point in time, because whether they succeed or fail relative to like how much you like them, it's a pretty little consequence to the rest of the league. And so as a player who, or as someone, did I just call myself a player? Anyway, as someone who didn't hate DeAndre Aiden. Definitely felt a bit of sympathy for him in the position he was in. I was excited to see him in Portland being like a, a real like 25 and 10 kind of guy. Like he he kind of like alluded and claimed to be but was being held back by the Suns and not prioritized in the offense. But it's like if this is the kind of stinkers you're putting up away from them, no wonder you weren't that high of a priority in the offense. Um, so, yeah, I, a, bit of a, a bit of a sad sad state of affairs in not just Portland, but specifically for DeAndre Aiden's camp. Um, and I don't really know. I mean, it's, you know, it's not like he's like flirting with being out of the league or anything. We're not going that crazy, but just, just, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at his stats in the past 10, 10 games and just nothing's moving me here. Nothing. I mean, three of these are, are, you know, didn't plays, but like 10 points, 14 points, seven points, eight points. Not to be that dude who like just box a box score watches and and derives their points from that, but I mean the 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 Blazers are just like a nothing team. So what else is there to really like take from them? It, like surprisingly, they do have a top twenty defense, but like 
top 20, dude. The, the, that bar's on the floor. So, yeah. Dominating just hasn't existed so far this season. And uh, you're, on the, you're on the naughty list, my guy. Uh, going back to nice. This one, I don't know if you guys are going to want to count this. It's my list, so you can't do anything about it anyways. But he is a star player. But Kawhi Leonard, he's got to get some love, all right? Because the Clippers have been looking fantastic, looking like a legit championship contender and have been on a mean run since... Uh, since going down like 06 after the Harden trade and everybody kind of uh, jumped the jumped the gun and went, uh, this is yada, yada, yada. And in this stretch that the Clippers have been fantastic since then, Kawhi has been their clear best player and consistently available, not just through the last 10, 15 games, but over the course of the season, you know, he's, he's played, uh, he's played 27 games of, of the like at most like 30 that the Clippers have even played. Um, he's averaging 28.7 points, six rebounds, 3.7 assists, and nearly two stocks on 60, 52, 94 shooting splits in his last 10 games. So 29 points, six rebounds, almost four assists, nearly two stocks, 60% from the field, 52% from three. Oh my God. I mean, put some respect on Kawhi Leonard's name, like for real. It is, it's, and it's hard. It's hard to do so because he has very, very rarely been this player over the past three, four seasons for more than like a five to 10 game stretch at a time. But this has absolutely been Kawhi's probably best season since 2020, maybe. Um, I don't know, but he's been amazing. And, uh, I don't, I don't really think that him or the Clippers really have been getting much love in, in this uh, stretch, or at least relative to how how bright the lights were on them when they went down 06, which uh, after the Harden trade, which makes sense. I mean, if you make a trade for Harden, like, yeah, we should all be adults and realize it's not going to like immediately like, okay, from here on, we're never losing a game, I guess. Or if we do, it's a bad trade. Um which is absolutely the way some some clowns online think. But again, if you're gonna you know if you're gonna be very loudly critical of them when they're down, keep that energy. Talk about them when they're up. Uh, and the Clippers have been fantastic. They've made their way all the way up to uh, the fifth seed, and um, they're looking like maybe maybe the best team in the West outside of the Nuggets. Maybe. Um, all right, on to the next naughty which is Zion Williamson of the Nolens Pelicans. Um, he has been mostly available so far, but massively inconsistent. And when we add in some off-court drama, which I wouldn't usually bring up unless it was something awful and the person did something awful and it was um, deserving of being brought up and mentioned and brought to light and kept in conversation, um, or if it affected like the, the hoops, um, and so not like I wouldn't usually just bring up any like frivolous kind of a uh, kind of personal life matter, but based off of not only his play, which as I've said, he's been pretty inconsistent, um, but also the discourse around him being really hard to advise from from trainers and staff, and him not listening to his trainers, his staff, the nutritionists as well, um, and he's been you know. I'm I'm definitely not going to get up because this is the problem. All of what all these reports are saying indicate to be kind of true. 
He has been visibly heavier and fatigued on the court. And it's gotten to a point where Zion's contract is no longer guaranteed. After he's failed to play in, you know, X amount of however many games it was over the past few seasons, and for not losing the weight he was being advised to, his contract is no longer guaranteed. And it's a shame because obviously we know the talent. I don't even like need to say that stuff, but the, the dialogues around Zion can be really nasty. can be really personal. I think the stuff that Stephen A has said on air about Zion, like just talking about like, I've called up restaurants in New Orleans. They'll say you'll eat the table. It's like, what are we doing here, bro? Like what? Get back to fucking basketball. You clown. Like, Come on, man. It feels like that is definitely excessive, uh, like a flagrant, a personal, just cheap shot for the sake of, of shock value. Like, oh, he didn't just call Zion fat. He said he's going to eat the table. But like, come on, man. You can make that point without being so like viciously personal for no reason. Anyways, um, the point being, it's like, it's hard to kind of talk about this shit in like a genuine sort of matter um, because of the way people will kind of extrapolate it and take it a bit further than it needs to be. But it is true. And he's looking like a disappointment so far. And his, his stats are down. He's still very efficient around the rim, of course, but his, his production and sheer volume is down. And he's been inconsistent. As I said, he looks visibly heavier and fatigued on the court. Brandon Ingram is the reliable uh, player on the Pelicans. Um, look, I don't think we should give up on Zion, but I do think New Orleans is probably not the best place for him to be. More than probably, I'm pretty sure he has even stated publicly that he didn't want to go there. I don't know if that's actually 100% true. I'm just like pretty confident, but I, I, don't, I won't say that as like a matter of fact uh, to add on to the fire if I'm not even saying things that are accurate, but pretty sure it is. Um, but nonetheless, the, it has not looked like a very um, copacetic relationship of uh, that franchise and him. I think it would be best for both at this point to part ways so that Zion Williamson can perhaps have at least one more chance at getting on track and being the player that he was promised to be. And also the Pelicans can like take a step and do like something because they've been kind of they've been kind of waiting on Zion to be something for the past like three seasons if um and you know whether he can or not is like at some point you're just wasting a lot of time you are burning into brandon ingham's uh prime uh, you have fantastic players when the team is working you guys are one of the best in the west so do something to maximize your squad outside of this one figure and put him in a place where he can maybe succeed a bit more I did just do a little cut there because I was running short on the uh, clip time, but we've only got a couple more, so we'll get through this a bit quicker. I don't know how long we're going here, but uh, the next nice is Alex Caruso, which I know I've had two bulls on this, but uh, I think Alex Caruso is definitely deserving of it. During the stretch of, uh, of the bulls run since Zach Levine's been down, a lot of the credit has been going rightfully to Kobe White, who is really blossomed, turn into, uh, he's really just upped his production, upped his volume. Um, he is, he's been killing it and he absolutely deserves to be kind of at the front of the, the, the movement that, uh, the bulls have been putting together. But, uh, Alex Caruso has been the MVP of this, of this team all season. He is the guy that's holding this thing together. He's an all defensive guard and not just in terms of quality, but he literally was last season. Um, 
Oh, sorry. Uh, he's tied, and he's tied for fourth in the league right now in three-point shooting at forty-six point four percent. So just a just a sniper from the outside, it, basically just an elite three and D guy. And I mean, Alex Russo is one of the best defensive guards I have seen in my own personal time as a hoops watcher. I have not watched for the duration of my lifetime. I've only been an NBA fan for a handful of seasons at this point, but in this time. Uh, Drew Holiday and Alex Caruso I, and, uh, and kind of Jada McDaniels low-key are kind of in their own tier as perimeter defenders. They are, I mean, I won't get into it too much, but point being, Alex Caruso has been crazy, crazy good this season, especially as he has been as, uh, with the Bulls in general. But it's really because of like the things he does, you know, he's, he's a role guy and he does the dirty work and he makes those hustle plays, all the intangibles that don't really show up on box scores or translate into numbers and stats and whatnot. So he's kind of destined to never really get the amount of credit he actually deserves. So I want to show him some love. Alex Caruso, you're on the nice list. Someone who's not on the nice list, however, is Grant Williams, who was traded from the Celtics to the Dallas Mavericks over the offseason and has had over out of any player who's played at least 15 games he has had one of the worst player impact estimates it was like out of out of the like 491 players who have played a game in the NBA this season he was ranking like 420 something ish i don't have the stat now um and it has changed but he was towards the bottom um he's not been amazing uh, offensively the the production and the stats he was putting up are like still kind of there like the the 10 points and 40% from three, uh, whatever. Um, and that's still been there, but obviously it's like not a very high volume, so it can't be that impactful. Um, and then defensively, the Mavericks have had the 23rd defensive rating, which obviously it is not all on one wing, but I think they were definitely expecting and hoping for a bit more than Grant Williams has been so far. Um, you know, and then turning it back to offense for one last thing, you know, he's, He's been shooting, you know, 39.9% from three is obviously relatively very good, even though Grant Williams has at points been a 40% shooter, like, over, uh, especially in the uh, 2022 playoff runs. That was, like, peak Grant Williams. But uh, he's just, he, he's he's missed a lot of opportunities second-guessing shots. It's kind of a weird uh, way to put this, but I think his volume and offensive contributions could be a lot higher, but he will consistently have a good second or two to put up a shot and will like second guess it. He does a pump fakey thing. A lot of Boston fans have made jokes about that, that like Mavs fans are going to, uh, they're going to be really, uh, really angry and wanting to trade Grant Williams by Christmas time. Once they find out how much he pump fakes on the three point line, instead of just taking those shots that he's clearly very good at. Um, and, uh, that has absolutely come to fruition. <laughs> Mavs fans are complaining about that. Um, and I don't know. It seems like he kind of just doesn't trust his shot, which for someone who over his career has been lights out and in important games too, like he, he can show up in those moments. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's kind of a hard thing that snowballs, you know, when you have a, when you start second guessing yourself, it only kind of, it only builds on itself and snowballs into you know, you just become Draymond Green and you just don't take shots altogether. Um, 
So I think they definitely were hoping for a bit more from Grant Williams of, of what they've seen from him, what he's offered, what he's what he's given to them. Um, but the Mavs have been quite good, so I'm sure they're they're living with it for right now. But I don't know. Come playoff times, Grant, when you get the ball in your hand, like you've got to put out that shot, man. You're a good shooter. You can't second guess like that. Um, my next, uh, this is actually going to be a double naughty. I had, I had an extra naughty, uh, to nice. And I just couldn't think of a, another like good, nice that I actually like, I actually like wanted to, that I could like talk about for more than like 10 seconds. Um, so the double naughty, just cause I'm a Grinch, uh, is Jordan Poole, who, um, is just wasting away in exile, uh, just wasting away in exile in Washington. He has had the second worst net rating out of any player in the league uh, who has played at least 15 games, that is. Um, very underwhelming production and on poor efficiency as per usual with Jordan Poole, but his points are down from the 20 that he was averaging last season down to 17.5. His field goal percentage is down from 43 to 40. His three-point percentage is down from 33.5 to 31%. Um, small differences there, but like, Oh, this dude is just, I mean, he's not, he's not the best player on his team. Kyle Kuzma is, I'm sorry. He is not, he is not as good as Kyle Kuzma in the NBA. He's not. And when we're considering that almost universally, people are like, well, Jordan, you know, regardless of what it means, you know, regardless of how much it impacts winning, Jordan Poole is going to go to Washington and average 28 points. Dude, dude, he's, he's not even putting up 20 right now. Um, I don't really know. He's just sort of like faded. Uh, and like in, in games, he's also like just some games completely passive, not doing anything. I mean, December 8th against the Nets took seven shots, took seven, seven shots the entire time. Um, this is, you're, you have, you're supposed to have the green light, um, you know, and maybe internally that's not how they've uh, decided to approach it, but Considering what expectations league-wide, whether they were accurate or not, whether they were justified or not, uh, relative to what those expectations were, Jordan Poole has been an absolute bummer, absolute stinker. And even putting aside those those uh, expectations of like, well, he's at least going to you know be an explosive scorer. Uh, Jordan Poole is just not a good NBA player, guys. I I don't really I don't know how to say, like. Uh, every time I say that, the back of my the like, you know, the meme that Akira, Akira, and you're like, ah, leave me alone. Like, uh, that, that leave me alone thing is thinking about Jordan Poole in the 2022 playoffs where I was like, uh, all right. I'm not going to lie. He is kind of looking like the successor to the splash bros right now, but everything before that and everything after that has been fucking stinky Jordan poop more like. Um, I'm sorry. I'm not usually this, uh, this flagrantly hateful, but his game has just been so, so unmoving to me. Um, and he's just like, he's just like your, uh, your, 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 your hoopers, hoopers, hooper kind of guy. That's just going to like do some fun moves, but I just think his basketball IQ is like not that high. I mean, we saw plenty of moments with the Warriors where he would just like make a really, really dumb move. And a lot of that can just be like you have the confidence from your team that have said, hey, you're clearly talented, which Jordan Poole is. Try out something, you know, you can you can try that move or whatnot. But then he'll try it and like he'll just like the, the ball will go off his foot and it'll be a turnover. If you were on NBA Twitter, you probably saw the meme from a couple of games ago where he 
slips on like an invisible banana peel while bringing the ball down the court. And the funniest thing about that, and a lot of people didn't even see this, but the longer extended clip of that is the possession before where Jordan Poole pulls up and just airballs a fucking three-pointer. Ball comes back down, they get a stop, and then bringing it back up. It's Jordan Poole basketball time, baby. And then just, wah, just slips on a banana peel. So, yeah, just not doing anything for me or anybody, clearly. <laughs> uh, next, next nice, back to the nice, though, uh, we'll go with Malik Monk, who is one of my favorite role players in the, in, in the league as a LeBron fan. Uh, I, I was like, Malik is one of the best role players the, the Lakers have had in this dark period over their like 2021 and 2022 seasons. Shouldn't have gotten rid of him, but either way, they did. And he's been thriving uh, in Sacramento. He's been playing super great. Uh, 41.2% from three, uh, averaging over 14 points, five assists. He's incredibly athletic, has dominant, uh, dominant uh, finishes at the rim, dunks. Super exciting. Brings the energy up. He's a hustle guy. I mean, just all all those all those good intangible things that I was talking about with like Alex Caruso stuff like that. Clearly, he's, I mean, he's not like a defensive Alex Caruso, but Malik Monk has been awesome. He's very fun to watch, and he's really embodying the the energy and the culture of the Kings. Which right now, like, I mean, it's still it's still going. Like the Kings have some of the best vibes in all of the NBA. Like I think we can agree on that. So yeah. He's been great for them, and I just I love to see like good niche, like fun, exciting role players get to a team that's gonna be good because like role players, they're role players. They're not they're not the deciding factor in whether the team is like good or not, good or not, unless all of them are shit. And in that case, like maybe that's the reason the team is bad. But like Malik Monk was not the reason the the uh, that the Lakers were pitiful in in twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, whatever it was that he played with them. But now that he's on a, like, legit team that has, like, actual expectations and whatnot, which, I mean, I guess the Lakers would have been at this point, too. But you know what I'm saying. I like watching these fun, exciting players actually get to teams where they're, like, going to do stuff. It's like the, like the complaints I had about uh, Bojan Bogdanovic being on the, uh, on the Pistons. It's like, put him on a team that's actually, like, going to do something, please, so that, like, his, his funness can be appreciated without the asterisk of, like, Great, nice hustle play, but you lost your you know eighth game of the, uh, you know in a row or something like that. But that is not the case for Malik Mug. That is not the case for the Sacramento Kings. He has been excellent and very fun for them. So yeah. Uh, next naughty is uh, Miles Bridges of the Charlotte Hornets, who is uh, not only just a you know piece of shit, dog shit human who shouldn't have a job in the NBA right now, but in in, in terms of actual pragmatic reasoning. He has had one of the worst net ratings as well. Just been an absolute stinker. Um, he, I mean, he's like putting up the points. He's putting up almost 20 on like, eh, like kind of so-so league average to like less than ideal mid-ish um, stats. But it's really just the production because it is not impacting winning at, even in the slightest, which, you know, to give Miles Bridges some, some leeway, Obviously, he is not, like, the sole reason that the Charlotte Hornets are just absolutely garbage and not a good team. They're just not a good team. But he's not adding to that. He has not been playing, like, impactful, winning by metrics, at least, basketball. Um, And when they played the Raptors, he was held back and uh, literally could not enter the country and couldn't play that game. So he's, like, legitimately uh, not able to help his team 
uh, or play seems a bit like a distraction. And also, NBA, you should take a, you should take a page out of Canada's book. If they've legitimately deemed this dude ineligible to enter their country, they're like, bro, it's a flight risk. You got a flight risk on your team. Maybe you should take a hint and fucking kick him to the curb. I usually do not have this egregious or, or this like this much energy for someone, but Miles Bridges is a dog shit human who does not deserve to be employed by the NBA, by any franchise in the NBA. And honestly, it's all and, and be paid the money he's being paid. So yeah, that's that's my uh, thing on them. Free Terry Rozier, free PJ Washington, free LaMelo, especially because he was playing amazing before he got injured. Um and yeah, maybe just actually leave Miles Bridges on the Charlotte Hornets and then relegate like European football, relegate uh, the Charlotte Hornets down to the G League and bring up fucking literally anybody. So yeah, that's that's my brave and bold plan as the next NBA commissioner is just to wipe the Charlotte Hornets off the face of the fucking globe. <laughs> okay, and my last nice, my last player for this list is... Alpi, Alpi, Alperin Shengun, who, who has been, is been, whatever you want to say, one of, if not quite possibly, the most underrated player in all of the league. Alperin Shengun is my favorite Houston Rockets player. He is very, really the only reason I would ever tune into a Houston Rockets game. Um, and while he was kind of the only positive to like look at of the team uh, in years past or seasons past since he's been in the league the past two seasons um the rockets have actually been like they're 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 like kind of good like they're they're not like great but they're the 8th seed in a really really tough western conference right now um they've been defensively super solid which is definitely not on Alperen Sengun. Alperen Sengun is not a good defensive player but he is continuing to solidly trek upwards as a offensive playmaking hub big man um he's up to 20 points on the season nine rebounds five assists a steal 53 percent from the field uh i'm sure true shooting is probably around like 62 percent uh considering he's averaging like 31 i don't know i'm just like i'm just doing like rain man math in my head right now with basketball like basketball reference spreadsheets but um he's been great he's as i said is just taking a solid leap again because rookie season Nine points, five rebounds, two assists. Sophomore season, four, 15 points, nine rebounds, four assists. And now we're up to 20, basically a 20 and 10 guy. Um, Alperin Sengun is so fun, man. If you're not going to watch uh, Houston Rockets games, I guess I don't blame you, even though like there's like a little bit more to watch now than there has been in the past few years. But uh, just watch some highlights of Alperin Sengun, man. He's so fun. Such a dynamic passing he's such a smart player um he was on an episode of podcast p um not too long ago and that was a pretty pretty uh good fun episode he was the turkish league mvp at like 18 um i think albert Sengun is going to be a really really good player in the long run and i think he deserves even more credit uh than he does relative to like when we talk about the houston rockets we'll give albert Sengun some love but obviously we don't talk about the houston rockets that much you know, for understandable reasons, but Alpern Shangoon Shangun deserves some fucking love. So shout out to him. And he's also grown like two inches apparently since being in the league. So he's like now like, like legitimately kind of like touching six, uh, seven foot. So that's a thing as well. I think that will probably like help him with like finishing around the rims. If like his arms have grown as well and whatnot, regardless, we're not doing uh we're not, we're not 
Uh, we're not doing the Venetian Man or whatnot. So, yeah, he's just been awesome. And watch some watch some Alper and Shangun highlights this holidays. You know, get your get your family around the campfire. Once you've un, undone your presents and one uh, presents and whatnot that are under the tree, put on some Alper and Shangun highlights for the family, and you know, just just vibe out, just vibe out. Um, but that is all for my uh, naughty and nice list. I hope that went re- well. I. With a with a with a lack of notes, I really just started rambling there. <laughs> I know, so I hope that was at least like entertaining in some capacity. But yeah, that is uh, basically gonna be all. I don't really have a non-related hoops uh, ramble to give you this time, outside of just saying uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. I hope everybody is able to take some time and relax and chill with friends or family or alone if that's what you prefer whatever it is you prefer i hope you're able to get some time like that uh to to spend during the holidays um and uh you know if you ask for any presents i hope i hope santa delivered uh and if and if you're a piece of shit like miles bridges i hope there was a fat sack of coal for you um and uh yeah thank you all so much for watching um i'm gonna be on vacation over the next like uh i'm like leaving like a under a week couple days and i'm gonna be gone for about a week but i'm gonna pre-record an episode to hopefully release like a kind of end of the year special episode um that's gonna be shorter because i'm just gonna do one thing in it but uh hopefully that'll be fun and be some content for while i'm away like over uh the new year and uh i'll see you in the new year and um and yeah, I, I hope that that'll be fun and you'll enjoy that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, I, I, I'm, it's, this is the very, very much similar to my writing abilities. Um, you know, horrible intro, horrible outro, bangers in the middle, but just don't know how to, don't know how to stick the landing apparently. But anyways, with all of that being said, um, thank you so much for watching. I hope you enjoyed, um, uh, you know, send the emails, check out all the socials, um, leave a like, leave a comment, um, you know, leave, leave, leave your good vibes, uh, and thank you all for watching, I'll be back soon, but until then, take care.